Hi, this is Z, and you're listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, today, I don't really have a title, um, per se, that I'm going to put on this. I'm going to do this um, podcast, actually, pretty much on the fly. Um, I have nothing written out, nothing prepared, and don't really even know what I'm going to talk about. There's a lot of things going through my mind, um, and if you're anything like me, Sometimes my mind is so loud inside my head that um, it's deafening. <laughs> and um, so I'm just going to kind of wing it today. And I hope that um, it comes across um, <laughs> in a positive manner because I don't ever try to be negative um, to anybody. I mean, really tr- try to be. I think I'm more negative to myself, actually, than I am anybody else. Um, and... I say that's a bad habit, but I don't try to make it a habit, so if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, unfortunately, though, um, if you're anything like me, you kind of grew up in your lifetime, um, always trying to battle for a spot in your life, and trying to understand where you belonged, what your purpose was, um, who accepted you, who didn't. And most of the time you find out that you're your own demon looking at yourself in a mirror of somebody that you don't even really know, but continue to try to critique. Um, and, you know, they say you're not supposed to judge anybody, but unfortunately we are the biggest judge, judgment people um, on ourselves. And um, we are our biggest demons and our biggest allies and um, we forget to be our own best friends (laughs) and I think a lot of that stems from society uh, our atmospheres the way we handle things traumas we've been through um, the strength of our family and our loved ones that are given to us um, but also to the weaknesses and uh I find that a lot of my strengths have been a lot of weaknesses that I have tried to overcome in my life and tried not to repeat. Unfortunately, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life and it has traumatized other people, uh, not purposely, um, but unfortunately it has brought more trauma um, in their hearts and their minds and their lives. And also I've made a lot of, I guess, um, I guess enemies, (laughs) Um, people that don't care for me much, Um, probably most of those are actually my my relatives, (laughs) Um, and I laugh, but that's really kind of true, it is true actually, Um, and that's, that's sad, I look at a lot of families, and I see all these pictures that people post of, you know, wearing like outfits, or getting together, and doing family-oriented things and, you know, dressing alike or doing little skit songs together or even TikToks together or, or whatever it is. And um, I never really had that with anybody. I mean, I tried to do it with my kids um, the best I could when I could. Unfortunately, I was a single mother uh, most of my life. Um, I mean, I was always a single mother, I guess. Whether I was married or not, I was a single mother. Um, raising my kids. I got young when I, I got young when I was young. <laughs> I got young when I was married. <laughs> got married when I was young. Um, and pretty much grew up with my kids. And uh, I'm still trying to grow up. <laughs> and 
you know, I've made a lot of choices that, you know, I thought were good in the best interest of my, my children and myself. And, you know, back in the beginning of everything, you know, I overcame a lot of tragedy and abuse and um, abandonment and neglect and um, a lot of things. <laughs> and I started out on my own. I was 17. Four days after my 17th birthday, I got married. And um, I had my first child at 17, a couple months after I got married. And um, two years later, I had my, my oldest daughter. <clears throat> and then uh, divorced my first husband. Very abusive relationship there. Um, a lot of trauma. But I also had a lot of trauma in my childhood. And um, a tremendous amount of tra trauma in my childhood. And I kind of went through this phase where, I don't want to say I was a male basher, <laughs> but um, I just, I didn't want a relationship per se. Or I took care of myself. And, um, I mean, I've always taken care of myself, but um, I don't really know how to explain it. I just didn't take no shit off no guy. <laughs> um, you know, and, and they'd come up and talk to me or whatever, and I just... I don't know, I just shoot him down every time and, you know, whatever. And safe relationships were safe for me, I guess. Um, whatever that means. Um, but anyway, rambling. But I ended up having my my third child when I was 29. Um, she's 10 years younger than my, other, my oldest daughter. And um, she definitely... She definitely is something else. My, all my children are very smart and beautiful. And, of course, I say that I'm their mother, but it's true. Um, it is true. Um, my youngest daughter, she, um, I call her, um, well, my oldest daughter, I called it a double blessing. Um, let me back up here because before her, um, I was pregnant with a child before that and I lost it. And, um, got pregnant with her immediately afterwards. And I had a lot of problems with her during her pregnancy, my pregnancy with her and had to have an emergency section with her. And, um, she has a learning disability and a lot of other things that have been in her path that she's had to overcome before she was even an adult, um, before she even had her own kids. She's, um. She was on a very big journey of, of fighting for her education and her self-esteem and her self-worth and understanding the world, as she calls it in her terms. Um, my youngest daughter, I had her after my best friend had um, actually had committed suicide. And um, she died on Father's Day. Of the year 2021 and um, I got pregnant uh, I found out a few weeks after she passed away that I was pregnant and um, I to this day have not been able to go to her grave I tried to go to her grave once actually and I couldn't find it and um, I ended up not going back I would like to go someday um, but I haven't managed to be able to do that yet. 
But when I found out about my daughter a couple weeks uh, or so afterwards, and she truly brought life back into me, um, more ways than one. And she, um, she's such a beautiful young woman. She really is, and a wonderful mother. And um, I'm very blessed in my life. Even though I've been through a lot of tragedies, I've talked about some things in my other podcast. Um, I currently right now take care of my mother and, um, my stepdad, I call him my dad now. I guess I call him more my dad now than I did when he was alive. Cause I called him by his name when he was here. Um, but it's just kind of hard to explain to people because I feel like when you say, oh, my stepdad or my stepmom or my stepbrother or my stepsister or whatever, that it belittles their title on their importance to you. Um, and that, oh, it's just a step, so it's not as big of a deal as if it was the original. And that's not true. That's really not true. Um, now my stepdad was my dad. Um, he's been in my life since I was like uh, seven or eight years old. Actually, eight years old, I believe. And um, it, I miss him terribly. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I mean, I miss him terribly. And, um, my biological dad is alive. I have nothing, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't have any, um, I wouldn't be rude to him and mean to him. I never have been, actually, but, um, my dad passed away. And he was my stepdad, but he was my dad. And, um, <clears throat> I have a hard time dealing with it. I had pushed it away a lot because I am taking care of my mom and um, I used to go out to my trailer out back, my camper rather, my camper. Um, my mom lives in the country and I have a camper, 27 foot camper, so it's kind of like a mini trailer <laughs> and I would go out there to put my feelings when I would have a breakdown and I start crying and sometimes I cry so hard I don't even honestly know how I stopped. Um, and eventually it got to the point where my camper was full of tear-soaked walls. And um, it's, it's very hard to explain. When you're grieving, grief is, is to me, there are people that are sad and there are people that grieve. And I feel like the difference between the two are when someone passes away or something bad happens and you may know the person or you may not. It makes you sad. It's a sad situation. It's very heartbreaking. Um, it can even make you cry. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um... And then there's grief. And I don't even think grief is a, a word that should describe that feeling. I don't even know if there is a word strong enough for that level of feeling. And there's all kinds of different levels of grief, in my opinion, that I've experienced. And I think a lot of it depends on the impact of... Um, how much it's impacted your life and traumatized you 
but also how much of a loss you feel. Grief is a is basically love that has nowhere to go. And it's it's just it's overwhelming. And it can it can literally be the death of, of someone. It really can. And I mean it has been. And <clears throat> people might not understand that level of grief. <clears throat> they might get it confused with sadness. Um I don't wish that level on anybody. I really don't. I've been there, still there, but I know there's all different levels. And I've come a long way in my levels of grief. <clears throat> and I push my feelings aside a lot for many, many people. And um, they may think that I'm selfish, that I only think of myself, but that's not, that's not necessarily true. I think a lot of people may not understand where I come from on things because <clears throat> I might not explain myself right or I might not share certain reasons of why I'm the way I am or maybe just because <clears throat> they're at a different level in their understanding and perception of their own grief that they just can't handle the extra. And... <clears throat> When somebody suffers a loss, PTSD, or any type of mentality change, if you will, that impairs them, it impairs it impairs their ability to function, it impairs their ability to think, it impairs their ability to multitask and understand, it impairs their even desire to even care to even try to have the desire to care and I've heard people say you know oh so-and-so doesn't call me I don't hear from nobody or I don't hear from you you don't ever call you don't ever come over um you're all the time in bed you're all the time sleeping you're all the time tired you're all the time got excuse you're always late um a million one things and well, maybe all that is true for that person that perceives it that way. There it might sound like an excuse. And maybe sometimes it may be. But a lot of times in my situation, the excuse has a reason. <clears throat> and people may get tired of hearing about it. Tired of dealing with it. Tired of living with it. Living around it knowing about it, talking about it, <clears throat> and I can understand that, I really can understand that, um, I hear conversations from people, sometimes when I go out and about, you know, and they talk about different things in their families, or different tragedies that happen, or whatever, and, um, sometimes some things that are said, or even a song that comes on, or a place I pass on the road or something. Um, it has trigger points for me sometimes. <clears throat> and sometimes it's really hard to function. And it's really hard to set my mentality in today's time, if you will. 
because sometimes those triggers trigger me back to that time frame. <clears throat> and a lot of things were back when um, I was a kid. But I was also an adult. And sometimes our families have their own triggers. And their triggers cause triggers on us. <clears throat> and it's really hard to understand to handle somebody else's triggers when you can't relate to them. But you just know that it triggers you, even though you can't relate to the reason that they're being triggered. And maybe you're not even relating it or even viewing it in that manner. Um, but you have to carry the responsibility, the burden, the heartache, the stories, the memories, or even the moment, if you will, based off something else that somebody else is going through or not going through or dealing with or triggering or you may not even know but all of a sudden it's now become a part of who you are and part about what you have to deal with and part things that at a certain time or a frame or a certain moment you might be somewhere and it might trigger you back to the moment of something that you intervened if you will if that makes sense and it just takes you back to that moment and it might be something that you might not ever even have dealt with because you didn't even know to or you didn't know how to and here you are sitting and and you know something that happened maybe when you were a child now you're sitting as an adult maybe with your own children and family and you're not understanding how you're being so triggered by everything or even understanding that's what's happening but all of a sudden, you got all these emotions that are just coming everywhere in your mind. And you just don't know how to file them away or put them in categories. Or, or maybe not even know how to comprehend what it is that you're even thinking. And they might not even be your own thoughts. It might be thoughts that somebody's put in your head. Or you've overheard. Or you just take take in consideration or an account I guess uh, the resource that it came from and maybe it was credible to you at the moment and then therefore it carried on with you throughout time all to find out that the credibility was going through its own um, reality check if you will <clears throat> and um, I don't know maybe I'm not making sense but to me I am <laughs> um, like I said I'm totally winging this and I'm I I normally have this big drawn out um, disclaimer as I call it. I always try not to offend people. I always try not to say the wrong thing. I always trying to word things right. I always checking my punctuation. I even check and type punctuation on the paper I type up, and nobody else is ever gonna see it but me. Um, but I'm so anal about it. And I mean, I used to be I don't know, I guess so traumatized because I was always made fun of and I was always talked about I always put down I was busting my butt raising my kids and going to college and I was always belittled and always made fun of for my intelligence or 
um, look at you, Miss A plus uh, in algebra, you know, or whatever. And, you know, that does something to you. And you have to spend your whole time remembering and reminding yourself, yeah, I got that A plus, but you know what? You know how many hours I put into studying to get that grade? You know how many dedicated hours I gave up with family time and activities for that grade? And why was I in college anyway to get my degrees? It was to better myself, to try to give my children a better life, to give them stability. All in the end, for that to be everything but really what happened. It happened to a certain point in my life. And then um, somebody who was supposed to be my marriage partner <clears throat> um, did, I feel like, everything he could to be everything but that. And he was one of the biggest ones that made fun of me. He was one of the biggest ones that would put me down. He would talk about me all the time, bad things about me to people, um, constantly talking and putting me down. <clears throat> and um, I would just, here I am working, going to school. He didn't work. He sat home for whatever he did. Um, and just continued to to just butcher my credibility, my self-worth, my dignity, my hard work, my dedication, me as a human being, somebody who uh, was supposed to be his, um, he was supposed to be my protector, he was supposed to be my, my second half, he was supposed to be my, um, my happy ever after, and for better or worse and richer or poor and sickness and health and um he was everything but that <clears throat> there was a lot of abuse there um a lot that um my children don't even know about and i don't talk about and um it made a really big hu huge impact on my life it ended up being a joke actually between one of my friends and i she actually was one of his friends. Uh, she's, a, she's a veteran. Uh, love her to death. Um, and she's uh, an older woman. Uh, respectfully. <clears throat> and um, she actually knew him way before I knew him. And we got to know each other. And we had, we had five children between us. He had two and I had three. We had none together. And they were teenagers. Except for my youngest one. She was younger. Um, <laughs> so anyway. There were seven of us. And I was. I'm not a potato chip eater. Okay. But my my, my stepson especially was. My stepson especially was. Um, but I had the same pit and chip clips on the chips. Because your chips will go stale. You know. Put a clip on them. Close them up. Try to keep them fresh. As long as you can. Um. And I would constantly try to remind them to do this. You know, we got seven people to feed. I'm busting my butt at work, trying to provide for the family, going to school. Um, and it caused a big argument. <clears throat> and my my ex-husband would go to this bar that he went to and talk about me so bad there. 
And my friend would tell me stories about how he would come in there. Because she, she was a cook there. <clears throat> and how he was going to divorce me uh, over the chip clips. <laughs> and would just talk so much crap about me. And put me down. He was an alcoholic. Um, very bad alcoholic. Um, he made it sound like he was the provider. <laughs> no, he never paid one bill a month. Never one bill. I was with him nine long years. And he never once paid one of my bills. Our bills. <clears throat> and, um... It traumatizes. It traumatizes you. Because then you. You get left questioning. Your. Your time from your children that you lost. You lost times and moments that you'll never get back. Of your own life with your own children. Uh, with my own children. You miss out on events and memories. You miss out on remembering a lot of their childhood because you have such a trauma from that time period that your mind has suppressed a lot of those moments, not on purpose. But because of the time frame it was in, you've suppressed that time frame because it was so traumatizing that even sometimes the good moments are hard to remember. Because if you remember them, then you're triggering back into those moments of the bad things that overwhelmed you. And it's a different kind of level. And I feel very bad. I don't even think bad's a word for it. <clears throat> I feel ashamed. Because there's a lot of my... There's a lot of my youngest daughter's childhood that I strove to remember. And it's not because I don't love her and it didn't mean something to me. It's because I don't remember a lot of those moments of that time period. And it's not reflection on her. It's a reflection of that time period. And does that make her feel better? No, it makes her feel worse. Because I was going through stuff. But I was also away from home a lot. Because I was working full time and going to school full time. And... I missed out on a lot. And what I did miss out on, I hold on to to remember her cute little sayings and stuff. You know, like, she came up to me one time and she said, Mommy, you remember when you were pregnant with me 
And I used to move around a lot and kick you all the time. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I remember. She paused for a second. She goes, I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> and, um. That's, that's a treasured memory that I hold on to with her. And I have moments with my other two children. But moments with them are different. She used to get upset at me, my youngest daughter, because <clears throat> I used to tell more stories about my other two children. Of them growing up than I could her. And it wasn't because I loved them more or their moments meant more. My mentality was in a different spot then. And I wasn't going through the trauma and the abuse and, and all the other stuff in my life as I did when I was, when she was their age. And... It breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart. And uh, I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. But it's something real with me. You know, I, I've done a lot of um, a variety of jobs in my life. Uh, people may hear about me talking about different things I've worked at, different places I've been. And I have. I've had a lot of variety in my life. Um, sometimes, though, when you find a job, <clears throat> the job interview needs to be both ways, honestly. It really does. Um, and sometimes you get a job. <clears throat> excuse me. Because you need the job, you need the work, you need the money. And you go to work and you're miserable. You're miserable. You pull up in the parking lot and you're just automatically in a bad mood. <clears throat> and as soon as you pull out of the parking lot, you're happy and you're bebopping all the way home. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, you get to the point sometimes where you are so dedicated to your job. And you give it all you got. And you're almost married to your job. <clears throat> but you're dispensable. <clears throat> and, um, but you might also find out that this job just really isn't compatible with you or what you're looking for. Or it wasn't what they made you perceive it was. <laughs> um, <clears throat> they misrepresented what they were offering. All the promises they offered or um, said they had. And you work in there and you find out the opposite. <clears throat> like, I used to clean crime scenes for a living. And I loved my job. Loved my job. Um, <clears throat> and I had a problem with the company. Because as supervisor, I was supervisor. I had a responsibility to my crew. And, um, their health, their safety, their mentality, uh, very, very important. And 
I'm responsible for that. But also as a human being, I need to be respectful of that. <clears throat> and being in the line of crime scene cleanup, you see a lot of things. And my coworker used to laugh and say, you know, you're one of my favorite bosses I've ever had. <clears throat> you make clean brain matter up at 2 o'clock in the morning fun. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it's not for everybody, let me tell you. It's really not. But we were on a job one time. And um, this gentleman had got drunk. And the way his back door was set up, when you come into the back door and you open it all the way, if you didn't catch the door, you were going down the basement stairs and there were concrete stairs. There was no railing and there was no landing until you landed at the bottom. So if you weren't paying attention, you would go, the door to swing and you went straight down. <clears throat> well, he had went to a bar and got drunk and went home. <clears throat> and he fell down upstairs. And he landed at the concrete wall. And it killed him. Now, in his basement, <clears throat> was a very, um, it was not a finished basement. It was very moldy. A lot of mold. A lot of mold. <laughs> Um, very dangerous to breathe. We wore, we had the, the blue Tyvek bunny suits, we call them. Uh, the respirators on our faces, double gloved, um, depending on the power tools we use and uh, our other stuff. We had gloves on top of our double gloves. <clears throat> um, sometimes we had knee pads, certain kinds of knee pads because we had to throw them away. Um had certain machines, specialized HEPA fans, ventilation, um, set up zoning, had our bio boxes, <clears throat> um, very familiar with cross-contaminations, even at a certain way we cleaned the, the ob objects that we cleaned. We had a certain way we cleaned them. Um, we did our towels and our cleaning supplies a certain way. Very meticulous, very detailed, <clears throat> very ne necessary, and for a reason. And um, we're always taught, if in doubt, throw it out. <clears throat> and, um, but also to treat everything as a biohazard until it's confirmed not to. That's not always the easiest thing to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. We changed our suits every couple hours because they were porous and they did soak up blood and, and fluids and stuff. Um, in the summertime, it was excruciatingly hot. <laughs> Beyond words. Um... <clears throat> Wearing that respirator, we had to do endurance, endurance testing before we could even get the job. We had to wear full suits, geared up, do endurance testing, wear um, a heart monitor, 
do breath. Uh, we had to breathe in this machine to make sure our lung, lungs were strong enough um, and be able to hold a certain level of oxygen. Wearing the respirators, you had to make sure that you could. Um, anyway, this particular job, well, in our in our the place I worked at, <clears throat> not all places are the same. They're not all qualified for certain things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, one thing that we were not qualified in was cleaning up mold. That was a whole different level of respirator. We didn't have the filters on our respirators equipped for the mold. Nor were we trained on how to handle mold in our line of work. Because we dealt with crime scenes. We didn't deal with mold. Um, <clears throat> which you would think they'd be the same. But they're not. Um, even hoarding and stuff. It's a, it's a different ball game. Um, but anyway, this particular job... It was a combination of both. It was a biohazard. Um, obviously, it was a death. <clears throat> bodily fluids. And um, spatter. A lot of people call it splatter, but it's called spatter with a P. Um, we did anyway in terms. <clears throat> and um, so my crew was cleaning up. We were all cleaning up. It was very hot. So hot. <laughs> um, it was the summer. And, of course, I'd give them breaks to get their water, get hydrated. And every time you would come out of the zone, uh, you know, one would come in, one would go out. And we'd try to keep the rotation going. And when you would go out, you had to resuit. And, um... <clears throat> So we got it cleaned up to the part that it ended at the bottom of the stairs where the mold began. And there's still bodily fluid there. Because that's where he landed. That was his brain matter and dura matter and all that. And I had already talked to our headquarters ahead of time about the situation with the mold. And um, <clears throat> how we were not equipped to handle the mold. So how do we handle when the biohazard cross-contaminates into the mold? <clears throat> and um, so I was told to work up until that part. And then we would figure it out. Because that was going to have to be another crew from a different company come in to handle the mold. But then you got the biohazard that interlaps that mold. So how do you handle that? <clears throat> Being in the safety and responsibility as a supervisor and a human being, I felt compelled and obligated that while obviously I could not bring this gentleman back, I did not, I was not going to compromise my crew. And, um, I have a severe allergy to mold. And, and, a, and a lot of people I believe do. But. <clears throat> those spores and stuff. They can be deadly. You know asbestos and all that. We were not even qualified to handle asbestos. Like the old time ceilings. We were supposed to call in a special crew for that. If we needed to mess with those. Um, because it's a whole different area. Of biohazard. 
And a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of different levels of biohazard. <clears throat> and so my, my headquarters knew that we were going to be coming to the end of the search here. And I asked them what to do. All we had left to do, because we did everything, was just one spot. It was just one spot on the floor. <clears throat> now, some people probably think of cleaning up that spot. I mean, it's just one spot. No. There, there's a fine line of what you cross and what you don't. <clears throat> because, for one, you cross that line with your, your work that teaches you not to go to that level. But then you go over that level and do it anyway. You go against company policy, regulations, safety um, hazards, all kinds of things. So heaven forbid if something did happen out of that crossing the line, <clears throat> then that comes back on you on, well, you knew not to do that. But that doesn't take away your health concern of whatever retaliation and consequences that has on your health now. The company still goes on. Now, your life is in jeopardy some way, somehow, right? Could be. But it's a fine line. <clears throat> so, all we had to do was this one, and I, I told my crew, we're done. <clears throat> we're cleaning up. Uh, we're taking our zones down. We're doing our closing. Um, headquarters had informed me that they were having a different company come in to take care of that last bit. The next day. <clears throat> so in my opinion. My thoughts with them. Was they were calling an outside company. Not us. To handle that last bit. That was trained certified. And able to do so. So. My crew cleans up. <clears throat> and I'm content with that. Because I was not going to put my crew in je jeopardy. It was I, I was not comfortable with that. I know myself, but also too, it also puts the company at jeopardy because it's a lot of responsibility and it's a very big, um, it's, it's a very big, um, regulation violation, <clears throat> but <laughs> so we leave and we go to a different job because obviously crime has no zip code and it has no hour. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I asked um, headquarters later um, about the company that came out to clean up that job. And they didn't really respond to me. And I, for some reason, I was on another job. And another location of ours was in town. And... We crossed paths. Come to find out, <clears throat> they had been in town because they were the other crew that came to clean up that one spot. They called a branch in Ohio to come over here to, to our state in Indiana to clean up that line that I didn't want to cross. So they had a different crew do it in the same company. And that spoke volumes to me. Even though I loved my job, I mean, I didn't, I didn't quit at that time. I didn't leave my job at that time. Um, 
it spoke volumes to me on, on the type of character of the CM that I was working for on that job. And um, it just goes to show that you can love your job. You can give it your all and you can do the right things. But that doesn't always necessarily mean that that's where you're going to stay. Because life has other plans sometimes. And uh, it's, it's a lot of responsibility to be your own advocate, if you will. <clears throat> but it's a lot more bigger responsibility of the consequences when you're not. And that's hard to do sometimes. Because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. In a lot of ways. And. <clears throat> I used to always say, you know. I still say it actually. You're never going to please everybody. In this world. You're not. It's not possible. Everybody's going to. Somebody is going to be mad. Somebody's going to be offended. Somebody's going to say something different. Somebody's going to say something wrong. About whatever it is. And you're not going to please everybody. And they say, well, you know, please yourself. How can you do that when you're your big, biggest critic? How can you please yourself when you are too busy putting yourself down? And not even realizing you're doing it. You know how many times I have stood in front of my mirror? Of course you don't know. <laughs> um, how many times I've stood in front of my mirror and... Yelled at myself, cussed myself out, degraded myself, told myself I was worthless, worthless, nobody would want me, I'm this, I'm that, all kinds of things. Um, I even told myself I wanted to die. I'd even told myself to kill myself. And it wasn't because I wanted to. Just because I didn't know what else to do to make the pain stop. And you know, <clears throat> in my crime scene days, <clears throat> I cranked some scenes up with some children. And it puts a lot into perspective. I was going through a really hard time at that time frame. That's when my grandson. Um, was killed. <clears throat> and I used to tell people I love cleaning crime scenes. It was very therapeutic for me. And they look at me funny like, how is that therapeutic? Because when somebody is dealing with the most horrific, tragic times of their life, I was able to take a little bit of that burden off of them. That little bit of that pain. They didn't have to go in there and wonder how they were going to clean up their loved one's spattered brain all over the complete house. I took care of it. My crew took care of it. <clears throat> I talked to them. I consoled with them. I sympathized with them. I tried to. I have got many many hugs. Um, many many thank yous. Because in my life. What I was going through in my tragedy. Being away from my children. Going through the death of my grandson. 
I couldn't help what was going on in my life. I couldn't help myself. But I could help all of them. And that was very helpful to me. Because even in the most horrific tragedy, something good was able to happen. Even if just a moment. It was a moment that that family took a moment to be able to get their breath. To be able to get their bearings, if you will. That moment. Could have been the very big difference they needed. To be, even be able to have their next moment. And all the many times in my life. I have struggled with my moments. I have never been in a more. Heartbreaking. Devastating. Point in my life than I ever have been. My dad, my stepdad is gone. And I miss him so much. So much. My mom is ill. Bedridden. Blind. I get no help from family and friends. The government decides to pay me a siphon 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every moment of my life. $1.61 an hour. But hey, I might be getting a raise soon because I might be able to level up. How, I don't know, but I'll wait to see if I qualify. <laughs> Meanwhile, my mom is still bedridden. And mourns the loss of my dad. Every breath she takes, she fights. And I am so proud of her. Because while I'm not mourning the loss of a husband, I've been in that darkness. I might not be the level of her darkness, but I've been in there. I've looked the abyss in the eye. I looked hard and deep in it. And eventually, I got strong enough. I flipped it off. And told it to go to hell. When my stepdad died. You know, he had a lot of health problems. But he was very active. Took care of my mother. Very dedicated to her. I gave him CPR that day <clears throat> and um, they took him out of here they worked really hard on him 45 minutes they worked on him and I'd say I had a good oh god 10-15 minutes on him myself and um, 
when we went to go see him at the, at the funeral home to make arrangements, the very next day, next morning, in that 24-hour time period, they bring my dad out of the freezer. He's on this gurney. And he, they bring him in their office. And he's there in between the two desks that are in there. Office desks that are in there. And he's in there on a gurney. And I tell you what. That man was the most beautiful human being I'd ever saw. He looks so beautiful and healthy than anybody I have ever seen in my life that was dead. I don't know how to explain it, but it was pure beauty. And it warmed my heart. It still warms my heart. And it is something that stuck out to me. And I told my mom. Because, you know, my mom was blind. She couldn't see. And we went to the funeral. Almost everybody in there commented on how beautiful and wonderful he looked. It was a, there was a glow about him. And I've been to a lot of funerals in my life. A lot. I remember the first one I went to was my great grandmother. She was 104. <clears throat> we had five generations, three times in my family of the girls. Um, and I pray my mom lived um, a long time too. But I hope that my mom finds a way to actually have a life. The holidays are coming up. And I understand where she's at on not wanting family over. And it's just going to be me and her. She doesn't want nobody over. She want no, she want no gathering. I'll take her dinner into her bedroom, to her bed like I do every night. <clears throat> I'll take it to her. I'll make a big meal, like a vegan army, because <laughs> I don't know how to cook small. That's not how our family was. Our family always had, if anybody knows my family, we had big, huge family gatherings. <laughs> Lots of cooking. <clears throat> In our family, you have to have a almost a degree to make the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and references. <laughs> Um, solid references, actually. <laughs> Usually I make the macaroni and cheese. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to cook a big feast. We'll have lots and lots of leftovers. And it'll be me and my mom. <clears throat> she doesn't know she wants the tree up yet. And I understand that. There was countless years I couldn't put up my tree. It was just, uh, celebration was just so hard. It saddens me because I just started to be able to have 
the ability to handle the holidays again. <clears throat> but I understand where my mom's at on it. And I respect that. I mean, I don't miss my family, though. I miss my children and my grandchildren terribly. It's, um, it's unbelievable how much your children and your grandchildren completely complete you. And they don't even, they'll never understand that. Because they have their own lives and their own traumas. And their own opinions of, of you as a parent. <clears throat> I um yesterday was a very rough day for me. I still um can't even fathom yesterday. Um, I was asleep yesterday morning. I sleep in the living room so I can hear my mom. Uh, I did have a mattress on the floor and I have a very, very uncomfortable bed. I wish I could have the mattress on the floor again, but I'm getting older and, um, my knees and my bones say different. But anyway, <clears throat> by 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, there was an unbelievable loud boom I thought the tree had fell on the house it was that severe loud <clears throat> there was a couple coming around the curb that we live in going way too fast way too fast and um, went a little bit up in our grass I don't know if he overcorrected or what but he ended up across the road, hit the utility pole completely in half and severed the pole, ripped our whole complete electrical line and everything completely out of our house because it was attached, took out the farm fencing across the street and a lot of the guardrail all the way down the road until it landed up against another utility pole at the corner. Ejected the mother out of the sunroof. Ejected the five-year-old kid out of the sunroof or the side door. And I'm not for sure if the dad was ejected or not. But one of his shoes was down the road and the other one was still in the car. <clears throat> Upon hearing this big crash, I went outside to see what was going on because I thought it was a tree. the tree. Mom said it sounded like somebody got in a wreck. <clears throat> there was a red 98 Monte Carlo at the corner. I could tell it was in a wreck because the hood was very bad shape. <clears throat> I started to run across the street barefooted. In my shorts, my t-shirt. Didn't even have my teeth in yet. I just had mouth surgery, so I'm trying to get used to my, my dentures and stuff. Not too long ago. And I was like, where's the other car? And then I got halfway over there and I saw a human being laying on the road. The guy was hysterical, walking back and forth. My neighbors came out. I yelled at them to call 911. And 
I immediately went to this lady. I didn't know it was a lady at the time, laying in the road. I knew it had just happened, so I knew time was of essence, and I'm so glad my PTSD was not a factor on my CBR. <clears throat> her face was completely in blood. She was missing her front teeth. I don't know if that was normal or what. I felt for a pulse. There was none. <laughs> Immediately started giving her CPR. The first time I blew air into her mouth, blood came spewing out of her eyeball. I knew she was gone, but I kept going. My neighbor found the little boy <clears throat> laying on the other side of the car. He's five. He was whimpering. He was laying on his belly trying to get over on his back. Complaining his hand hurt and his back hurt. <clears throat> First responder pulled up. I said, do you know CPR? She said, yeah. I said, okay, she said, are you ready? I said, yeah. Started counting with her. In the meantime, while I'm counting with her, I'm grabbing the dude. Holding him up, trying to calm him down while I'm counting with the medic. Well, the other ones are come to the scene. <clears throat> I'm holding this guy up with everything that I got. I'm trying to bring him away from the scene and trying to calm him down from the baby laying there in earshot from him to keep the child calm. <clears throat> it seemed like forever. Eventually, I looked at one of the male gentlemen. I said, please, can you come get him? Because he's pulling me down to the ground and he's heavy. Which I still have severe back pain right now. From, I couldn't figure out why my back was hurting. <laughs> um, so bad, but that is why. Because <clears throat> I was had that much pressure from him. Because he was that traumatized. He was walking back and forth in the scene because he saw the child laying on the ground and her laying on the ground. They finally were able to lay him down, take him to a hospital. And I went over to the little boy, <clears throat> was talking to him. And I was having him make faces at me, sticking his tongue out, had him giggling a couple times. The medic, I had the medic make faces at him, asked him to anyway. And the little boy was giggling, trying to keep him calm while they're cutting his clothes off of him. I'm reassuring the child that everything is going to be okay. There's a lot of people and it's very scary. And he's probably going to be cold here in a minute because they were cutting his shirt, his jacket, and everything on him. But they would take care of it and they would cover him up. And that he was a strong boy. And I asked him if he could still make faces at me. And he did. <clears throat> and he giggled. And he said... Now I can't go to school, which I thought yesterday was Sunday. And I said, well, it's like Sunday anyway. You don't go to school on Sundays. What's later? I found out it was Monday. <laughs> so <laughs> um, <clears throat> I said, do you like school? He goes, no. <laughs> but then he got me. He stopped for a minute. He said, in a real soft voice, 
this all seems, this all feels like a dream. I said, yeah, it does, baby. And I said, you want to see my googly eyes? And I crossed my eyes at him and he giggled. <clears throat> and they were trying to figure out his name and they couldn't understand him. Because he's, you know, five years old and that's the time they start losing their teeth. <clears throat> <clears throat> so I asked him his name. I said, if that's your name, stick your tongue out at me. And he stuck his tongue out at me and giggled. <clears throat> I said, well, there you have it. That's his name. <laughs> um... But he went to uh, Raleigh Hospital. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Riley. Wonderful children's hospital. Saved my granddaughter's life many times. Saved a lot of babies. A lot of kids. Beautiful hospital. <clears throat> both of them are in serious condition last I know, but they're both alive. The mother did not make it. She actually, I knew, died instantly when she was ejected from that sunroof. But even though I knew she was gone, I still did not stop doing what I needed to do. Because there's always that one slim chance. But in the meantime, I assessed her and helped where I could until they could. I tried to help the dad and I tried to be there for that child. <clears throat> and I was calm. But you know what? I've done a lot of crime scenes in my life. <clears throat> but my hats go off to first responders. Because it's different. It's different. You clean crime scenes. And a lot of times we were trying to figure out this scenario. How did it happen? How old they were? Where it was at? What it was with? Kind of like the board game Clue, if you will. <clears throat> but now when I look out my window, I'm reminded. Split second. Speed. Going around that curb. And I asked him, I said, you took that curb too fast, didn't you? And he goes, yeah, I did. Now that man's going to have to live with that. And my heart breaks for him. And the families. All involved. There's no winners in that. A little boy lost his mom. A little man. A young man. In his early 30s. Now carries a hard. Heavy load on him. And a mother is gone. Somebody's daughter is gone. Somebody, something is gone. <clears throat> There's no winners in that. In the meantime, the crews out there are trying to put all the electric back together, trying to get the debris out of the road, trying to do a crime scene, took off half the street here in a dangerous curb. Got the electric company, got the cable company, you got the flatbeds, you got the ambulance crews, you got the fire trucks, you got the police officers, you got. Um, people everywhere <clears throat> had people parking up in my driveway because they rode in the ambulance with the little boy that medic uh, that was making faces with him, rode with him, left his vehicle in, in the driveway. So it was safe. 
And people have the nerve to get mad that the road was closed. And when the, when the cleanup crew and everybody was gone, <clears throat> and the electric company was trying to restore and run new lines, and the cable company was trying to run new lines and put a brand new pole in because they snapped the pole completely in half, people were cussing them out and flipping them off. What is wrong with people? I got out the backup. I got out the generator to power it up. You know, because my mom, she's bedridden. She's on oxygen. She has stuff. It don't run all her machines, but it runs her air, her oxygen for her. <clears throat> runs her refrigerator and the freezer. 